Welcome to the Defiant Podcast. The internet of money is being built with blockchain technology and without banks. We call it DeFi, short for decentralized finance. And this is where you can hear the builders and users of this cutting edge world tell their stories firsthand. I'm your host, Camila Russo. This week's episode is with Stani Kulichov, the founder and CEO of Ave. When we spoke, Ave was the second largest DeFi protocol, but in the days after our conversation, it rose to overtake MakerDAO and become the DeFi platform with the most assets held in its smart contracts, at more than $1 billion in digital assets. It's been an exponential rise for Ave, which launched just eight months ago, and in that short time was able to climb the famous DeFi Pulse total value locked ranking to the top. It's done so pushing DeFi forward by driving innovation in interest-generating tokens, flash loans, and delegated credit lines, which Stani dives into in this conversation. We also get into all the recent yield farming craziness, which he wishes was a bit more restrained. But we start from the beginning with how Ave came to be. But first, I wanted to take a second to tell you about our sponsor, Moltis. Moltis is the first ever bank account for companies who want to run their business on crypto and traditional currencies. It has a multi-signature wallet, which allows teams to store their assets with access controls, earn interest on their crypto, and streamline payments. I went through the demo myself, and the UX is super user-friendly. They'll soon be launching fiat-friendly accounts with cards and wire transfers, so companies dealing with fiat and crypto will need multiple accounts in different places. Go to multis.co, that's M-U-L-T-I-S dot C-O, and sign up to start a free 30-day trial. Listeners to The Defiant can get a priority onboarding by the multi-CEO when they enter The Defiant podcast on the 30-second sign-up form. So go check it out. All right, here we are with Stani Kulichov. He's the founder and CEO of Ave, the second largest DeFi platform by total value locked right now, um, which is amazing considering they started off the year at basically zero uh, value locked. So I'm super excited to chat with with you about what's going on in Aave um, and all the recent developments developments so far. Thank you so much for joining me in the Defiance podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Camille, for having me here. Glad to discuss some DeFi-related things. <laughs> Yay, of course. Um, so briefly, before we get into all the latest developments, I'd love to get more of the background of on how Ave came to be, because you know before Ave there was Ethland and you know the ICO and going through all the roughness of the bear market. Um, so can you can you first uh, provide that background of like uh, the the yeah. period before Ave? Yeah, definitely. So. Uh Basically, as a protocol, Aave protocol, we started this year uh, in January. Uh, year before, basically, we rebranded to Aave. But before mm-hmm. that, we uh, we used to go by the name of ETHLAND, which is short for uh, Ethereum Lending. Mm-hmm. And basically, what Ethereum uh, Lending was back then is it was just a small project that uh, I basically um, uh, founded while I was studying uh, law in, in University of Helsinki. Uh, Finland, where I'm uh, originally from. Mm-hmm. And what actually happened is that uh, we, we started as a community project and we wanted to create basically the first lending protocol on Ethereum and mm-hmm. kind of like test 
uh, how we could create uh, a bit more complex financial transaction than trading or transferring funds from one address to another. Mm-hmm. And one thing led to another. Uh, we we had a interesting uh, market back then, and this was uh, ages before stable coins or liquidity pools and any kind of like idea of, of total locked value. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> I think the transition from Ethland to Aave was kind of natural as, as kind of like we saw uh, liquidity uh, starting to pull together. And we started to think like how we could uh, utilize more this locked liquidity, locked value in a more capital efficient way. And that mm-hmm. is how we came with uh, the, the Aave protocol. Because was Eastland more of like a peer-to-peer lending structure than a pooled liquidity structure? Yeah, definitely. So mm-hmm. we started back then with the peer-to-peer model because uh, we heavily believed and still believe that kind of the idea of, of uh, decentralized finance, and for us it was just financing in terms of like smart contracts because the, the term wasn't coined back then yet. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that you could actually like democratize a bit uh, the interactions so anyone can uh, build permissionlessly and participate permissionlessly into the uh, ecosystem. And that is what's like very uh, fascinating. And basically, we choose the peer-to-peer model also because like, we try to uh, separate risks as much as we could. Mm-hmm. And basically, back then, the tokens that were on Ethereum, for example, didn't have that much liquidity. Mm-hmm. So we didn't want to go with a systemic model. And now we see like many models uh, in terms of like liquidity pooling, whether it's trading or lending, that is actually a functional model if you have incentives network for liquidations and, and mm-hmm. kind of like uh, uh, th- this kind of incentives that will will ensure that your, your protocol uh, will be healthy. And and that's kind of like why we transferred from one model to another as we mm-hmm. saw it becoming uh, uh, the thing to do. Got it. And, um, you know, I, I thought when when you first launched, it was interesting to see that, that you were kind of innovating right off with the A tokens, um, kind of, you know, building from what Compound had done with C tokens, um, but modifying that that structure a little bit. Um, so can you can you explain like when when you launched Ave, what were the, the main things that you were trying to innovate with at, at the time? Yeah, I, I think I'm a really big fan of the C tokens and, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of like what I wanted to do with uh, our team is that uh, with the A tokens that we, we wanted to somehow uh, make interest tokens uh, in a way that you could actually understand like how much you're earning in, in terms of uh, what you're depositing. Mm-hmm. And it's actually like our goal was just to kind of like uh, focus more on the end user uh, user experience. Mm-hmm. So that, for example, uh, if 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 I deposit uh, 100 uh, die into the other protocol and I get uh, 100 A die as a kind of like an interest bearing token mm-hmm. in return, and we wanted to have this one on one ratio so so that you could actually understand like how much is deposited, but also that whatever you're earning in the protocol, it actually grows uh, with the balance. Mm-hmm. And this basically means that we integ- we added into the A token uh, smart contracts and an algorithm mm-hmm. that is based on the interest rate model of the protocol, uh, which updates the balances of all of the 
uh, A-token holders. Mm -hmm. So you will constantly see your, if you're holding A-tokens in MetaMask uh, uh, or in some other basically wallet, you will see the balance all the time increasing. Mm -hmm. And what's, why it's in, in important is that uh, you actually know how much you're earning. And also uh, it kind of like gives you access to a, like a global permissionless uh, savings account, which is dollar nominated at the moment with the uh, DAI, uh, USDC, and USDT uh, A-token versions. And that's very important in places, for example, like Venezuela, uh, in other countries in Latin America, for example, Argentina is, is a good example where you could basically just by uh, holding A-tokens, whether by depositing or uh, by buying them, you, you basically hold this permissionless uh, access to, to uh, uh, basically sa savings account mm -hmm. this way. And it's, it's quite interesting because especially if your local currency has high inflation. And I, I think in one way, it really democratizes like and shows like what you could actually do with, with DeFi with just uh, this small, uh, interesting function. Yeah, no, I agree. So for, for those listening <clears throat> or reading who, who are not that familiar with these types of tokens, it's a super interesting concept, which is representing um, a lending deposit or tokens deposited in a lending protocol with uh, tokens in your in your MetaMask wallet or in, in your Ethereum wallet. So it's kind of like a derivative of, of your token deposits. But what's interesting is that the, the token itself starts growing in value as you start gaining interest. So that's why they're called interest uh, gaining tokens. And um, it's, it's really cool that it does kind of democratize access to a dollar savings account for anyone in, in the world. And yeah, Aave and, and Compound are two of kind of the main lending protocols offering these types of tokens. Um, so from there, from, from launch early, early in the year, and value locked in Ave has completely skyrocketed. So what are what do you think are the main milestones in this trajectory? Yeah, I mean we weren't expecting this kind of like uh, traction at all. I mean mm -hmm. DeFi in general has been growing quite a lot uh, above my expectations. I always projected DeFi to grow a lot uh, in, in terms of like uh, based on the things has been building, uh, building uh, Aave, what Aave has been building, what others have been building. And kind of what I see now is that we, we get more and more adoption. Uh, and it's just funny because we're still in the very, very beginning uh, in the sense that there's many things that could be still built. And we will probably see like quite interesting like uh, DeFi primitives on top. For us personally, I, I think uh, the biggest kind of like milestone for us to see what was to see like flash loans to get utilized. Mm -hmm. Because in the beginning, uh, we started to uh, kind of introduce the functionality to developers that, hey, you could build uh, very interesting DeFi composability things, which mm -hmm. basically means when uh, you take a couple of uh, DeFi building blocks, let's say you use Aave, you use uh, Compound, uh, Uniswap, and you, you, you make some sort of kind of like a product and you use flash loans to basically reduce the need of actually capital to do some kind of like a transaction. Mm -hmm. And we saw a uh, few months ago that actually like flash loans started to get a lot of traction. And now on a daily basis, we have quite a lot of flash loans. And in some days we have over 100 million worth of flash loans. And that, and that for me is very uh, nice to see actually. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. other things I, 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 that has been uh, substantially 
important uh, uh, to our team is the amount of developers that are building mm. uh, on top of Aave or are utilizing, for example, uh, Aave. And I, I think that's that's pretty uh, cool stuff now. And yeah, and we're trying to just to innovate as much as we can, create new products and, and services and try to just make uh, kind of like the DeFi experience as, as seamless as possible and get most out of it uh, yeah. for the users. So I wanna I wanted to stop a little bit on on the flash loans concept, which you know uh, again for for those listening, um, it's it's this really interesting idea uh, or ability for for DeFi users to take out a loan on one Ethereum transaction, use that money borrowed to execute any type of trade in any other DeFi protocol outside of the, the platform that you took out the, the loan to begin with, and then pay back the loan um, on, on the same transaction, uh, potentially with the profits that, that you made from whatever trade you're doing. So, you know, this, this needs to be automated and, and requires like some, some level of, of skill because you need to kind of code this, um, these, these trades up, um, but it does allow any anyone to participate in, in in this system without having that much capital to start out with because you're executing these trades with money that's borrowed um, and you get to keep those profits as long as you pay the loan back in the same ethereum transaction uh, let me know uh, Stani, if, if that was a good explanation <laughs> for it yeah totally I, I think uh, that was exactly very very good explanation like flash loans is a functionality that uh mostly now maybe developers are using there are kind of ways to use it with no code functionality for example there's an app called photo combo that does does that that you can actually just drag and drop and make functionality mm -hmm. experiment but uh like it's all about developers building new products for end users to basically uh, make them capital efficient uh, transactions uh, in Ethereum, and and I, I think that's uh, that's the kind of like a key point where we are uh, with flash loans. And flash loans are like it's just a functionality, but it's uh, part of the bigger picture of of uh, our protocol. Basically, utilizing capital as efficiently as you, as as we uh, can with innovation. And one of the other things amongst flash loans and A tokens is basically credit delegation that we. Uh, announced a uh, while back ago. And basically that allows uh, anyone who deposits into Aave to earn interest to basically delegate their credit line to someone they trust or to a smart contract that does uh, some functionality, some kind of strategies uh, that are pre-programmed that basically uh, there's less risk of failure. Mm -hmm. And this is like the idea of like, uh, uh, averagely, we calculated that every fourth user who is depositing into Aave, or let's say from the capital, 20% is somewhat utilized, and the rest, 75%, um, is uh, available liquidity for flash loans or, or, or basically non-utilized. And the credit delegation was basically a way of kind of like um, increasing that utilization rate by allowing other peoples that don't have collaterals but are in trust relationship or building some smart contract functionality to actually draw that uh, uh, credit uh, on behalf of others. And for depositors that are actually delegating credit, for them it's pretty cool because they can uh, earn additional yield. And mm. that's, that's interesting. That's very cool. Um, I thought this was a, a, a really innovative concept and, and a way to get around 
this dilemma in DeFi, which is that up until now, you kind of need a lot of capital to uh, to borrow. You All of the loans in DeFi are over collateralized. And, you know, the, the reason why that happens is because for the system to be permissionless, you can't be checking somebody's uh, credit score or doing KYC or um, demanding you know, like salary and income statements or anything like that. It just needs to depend on the, the money you have. Um, so that that's kind of limited the, the number of users that can actually use DeFi because you're requiring to, to have money up front. But, you know, this this is a way to get around that, I think, um, right, by delegating. If, if you have capital, you can kind of delegate that collateral so someone else can take an, an unsecured loan. Um, what I don't get is how how does the, um, the person who is delegating the, their collateral know how trustworthy the, the borrower is? Yeah, that's a good question because it boils down to the actual uh, lending facility or, or like uh, lending models where you kind of are entering into trust relationship. So basically, uh, the very interesting uh, scenario, because there's different kinds of trust relationships. Uh, people lend money, for example, for their family members, friends. So there's some trust. Mm -hmm. uh, there are businesses that are doing the same, but they're lending out to, let's say, uh, consumers, uh, businesses based on the risk scoring. So as a function, like the credit delegation idea is to kind of like open the floodgates to uh, delegate that credit and source DeFi liquidity out of uh, protocols like Aave. Mm -hmm. But end of the day, uh, about the underwriting, it's kind of like opportunity for different kinds of uh, uh, protocol models or business models to create functionality where they can mm -hmm. do some sort of uh, credit risk assessment, for example. Uh, very two, I think three very easy scenarios is where you're delegating credit line to someone you can uh, basically trust. You can even do that with just a uh, uh, verbal agreement, formal agreement with open law that we used, for example, with, with mm -hmm. the very first credit delegation uh, to diversify. Uh, and the second way, for example, you can use the very same thing, but you could, for example, a group of persons uh, or delegators could delegate to a entity that could be in the traditional finance, so they could delegate them to borrow stable coins that they convert into fiat, and then they lend it out uh, basically into the uh, into their clients, for example. Okay. And I could see that in the future, for example, like our objective will be fulfilled if someone in the street who is walking have uh, who, who bought a car or who, who basically bought a house, partially of that uh, purchasing power is sourced uh, from the, the from DeFi with credit mm -hmm. delegation. And mm -hmm. it, it's, it's kind of like a, uh, it doesn't like the underwriting. Uh, it's it's a own, one own form of a business model. For example, there is a project called uh, Union Teller who are actually working on this kind of stuff where, where basically they're trying to bring uh, efficiency in terms of underwriting loans in the decentralized finance and utilizing mm -hmm. them. But I, I think we'll see like a lot of kind of uh, various uh, differences. And, and the third one, which is Actually, the more fascinating to me is that you could actually delegate credit to a smart contract that does uh, some functionality. For example, mm -hmm. we have a, a protocol called uh, YEARN in mm -hmm. one of their vaults. So they have this kind of like a vaults that are doing some sort of strategy, uh, trading, yield farming. And mm -hmm. one of the vaults is based on uh, 
basically a link token, which is a delegated token of, of the A tokens to that vault. Okay. And that vault draws credit line uh, with the delegation from Aave. And that's a good example to, to basically have, uh, I think, like farming activities. Uh, so that's a good example. A good example mm. of what you do. Okay, wait, I don't, I'm not sure I got it. But first, let's kind of go over the other example. So in the first case, which is kind of the, the simpler case, is that you're delegating your borrowing power to people you know, like your friends and family. Yep. Um, then there's a, the, the second case, which I, I think is a way to scale up this, this operation, is for entities to delegate their, their, their borrowing power to their own clients. So if, for example, um, fintechs in traditional finance who already do KYC on, on their customers and, and, and know that they are uh, you know, credit worthy, they they can um, uh, delegate their lending power and allow those customers to to borrow through Ave. Exactly. Kind of okay. And then um, then the third uh, option would be for uh, to have like smart contracts um, execute that that loan. And and you you named this example with. Um, with vaults in, in wire. But I didn't get that, that part of, of the example. Yeah. Exactly. So what's interesting about this, uh, basically delegating to a smart contract, uh, is that basically you could delegate to a smart contract that can only do predefined functions. So let's mm -hmm. say in terms of wire, uh, you, you're basically delegating your credit uh, to the vault, uh, wire vault. And what happens there is that uh, you basically give the permission of that vault to draw a credit line uh, against your deposits into Aave. So, so basically, when the, the vault uh, functionality is, is, is basically called, it draws credit from Aave and, and basically deposits those funds into, for example, Curve uh, to, to, to Yield Farm. Ah, and okay. the smart contract can't do anything else. So that's mm -hmm. the beauty out of it because it's a predefined strategy. It's immutable. And, 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 and you're reutilizing the capital that is basically locked as a TVL in Aave uh, in functions that are, are basically uh, can't be changed. And, mm. and it eliminates the credit, credit risk there. So okay. it's, it's kind of different than the uh, lending to, to people that you trust or mm -hmm. under legal agreements, because actually the more you create different kind of functionality in smart contracts, pretty defined, and the more like DeFi grows and these opportunities will come, Mm -hmm. We might see like more scaling there in, into this direction, and I really mm -hmm. love when we have basically uh, smart contract-based infrastructure, and we don't need to resort to, let's say, legal agreements and enforcement. So for me, it's very fascinating what's happening on the smart contract side. Uh, yeah. That I get. Okay, I got it. So, um, so, so these these loans would be used to execute different trading strategies um, by by smart contracts. That's really interesting. Um, are there any examples of, of this happening yet, or is, is it you know just something that you think would be a, a, a good way to use this functionality? Yes, yeah, smart contract to smart contract based credit delegation is already utilized by Wire. So uh, they're drawing uh, credit lines from, from Aave and, and basically depositing into different protocols, the, the stable coins to generate more, generate more yield. And mm. that's already happening. And nice. I will bet that this will be expanding in the future as well. And I think I made the first proposal uh, 
I think it was yesterday, into the IRM community where actually we could create more of these walls mm-hmm. and, and basically expand the credit delegation and those strategies. So that's uh, pretty interesting uh, to see how it will uh, develop. Yeah, so interesting. So how much would you say right now is is being borrowed through this mechanism in general, like it, it, taking all these different strategies? Yeah, I don't think I think the the amounts aren't that big at the moment. I think we have uh, I'm not sure quite the number because we uh, I haven't checked like how much the utilization is there, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I would expect somewhere uh, below one million still. And okay. I, I think in the future it will go. It might be more. It really uh, mm-hmm. I haven't checked like how how utilized it is, but uh, it's interesting to actually follow like how how it's going to develop. Yeah, as with with so many things in in DeFi, these things tend to kind of grow exponentially and just like pick up from like one day to the next. So <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if, yeah. And the the thing is that uh, like uh, we always tend to focus on kind of like the permissionless aspect of the the users, but we mm-hmm. kind of what's happening in the permissionless aspect in DeFi in terms of development that's even more interesting because like. Anyone can develop this kind of products and, and mm. anyone can, I could imagine the future in Aave governance that someone could propose this kind of vaults and there could be like a uh, uh, credit delegation functionality that uh, could be done in the user interface to kind of choose which vault you want to delegate and what kind of yields they give you. And I could imagine the other governance voting on, on what kind of vaults could be approved into the system, depending right. on their security, depending on their uh, risk assessment and, and so forth. Yeah. Um, okay. So speaking of governance, I wanted to also speak about Aves V2 and, and transition to more decentralized governance. Would love for you to give kind of an overview of this upgrade of the protocol. Yeah. I mean, uh, so now what, what, what's, what's interesting, like the actual narrative behind, because uh, when we launched in, in January and we saw like the protocol growing uh, over the time and mm-hmm. currently we have roughly 1.3, 1.4 billion locked value in the smart contracts and the market size is even bigger, 1.5 and so forth. Like we see like the stakes are very high mm-hmm. and we feel that we, as a team, we, we cannot anymore basically govern the protocol in the sense that we have uh, delivered the base layer of the infrastructure Basically, so we have a base layer of mm-hmm. infrastructure now, and we're updating it to uh, version two, where mm-hmm. we basically are adding uh, more optimization in terms of gas and more functionality. But the underlying uh, idea there is that uh, now it's kind of the time that we uh, give the power uh, of the making changes to the protocol and and vote on the features and changes. Uh, to the Aave governance. Mm-hmm. And this is why we're having basically a token migration from Lend to Aave. And, and basically after that happens, and after we transferred keys to the uh, Aave governance, it's basically up to the governance to decide uh, decide what Aave, the team, will be building and what other developers could be built. So in the future, anyone could build uh, features functionality uh, into the core uh, Aave in the next upcoming versions or additional uh, features on top. And that's what like will make it very interesting. Mm-hmm. And of course, anyone can propose as well, uh, these updates. And I, I think uh, like, I, I think we tend to still underestimate the, the, the power of the governance because the more we give uh, uh, the, the 
kind of decision making for the governance, the more we have expertise and, and the more we have vision how the project should be uh, developing the f- further. And this is like what got me into uh, DeFi and, and, and Ethereum in the first place, because mm-hmm. it's not about any more uh, few bankers deciding in cafeteria in London on how basically the, the company should be run, but actually now anyone can participate. And that also means that you need to build a product or a protocol that actually is suitable for all parts of the uh, uh, words and, and demographics. So that, that is like very fascinating for me. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so in, in this new governance system, um, will it be kind of a DAO and token-based voting? Like Avid token holders will propose changes to the protocol and vote on those changes through a DAO? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So the most key thing about Aave protocol is that the Aave token holders are basically voting on decisions and most of the decisions because of the uh, value locked in the smart contracts mm-hmm. are based on risk. So they're already holding the risk of the, the locked funds there and, and the, the market activity. And they're also voting on the risk parameters and what assets could be added into the protocol. I could imagine there will be in the future decentralized risk teams giving proposals, how things could be changed. And when the Aave token holders are basically deciding upon this risk, they're also at the same time bearing the risk, which basically means that in our Aaveonomics, which is so-called like token economics, what we have is a, a, a functionality of uh, st- staking where the token holders can stake their tokens into a, uh, a safety module. Mm-hmm. And if there's some sort of like a shortfall event, such as smart contract ha- hack or a bug or any any kind of like a failed liquidation or the governance sees that this thing uh, led to sh- uh, deficit in the protocol, basically those stake tokens could be used to cover the deficit. And if it's not, not enough, basically, there is a minting facility as well and, okay. and over, cover this kind of like a def- deficit. And mm-hmm. what's important here is that uh, the Aave token holders are kind of like uh, setting those risk parameters and at the same time, they're bearing uh, that risk as well with, with the providing the safetyness. And mm-hmm. the, the key component here is that we, over the past six months where we were, we were designing the Aaveonomics, we try to think of uh, like what is the most important thing uh, for DeFi or for Aave, and one of the things that ring the bell all the time was like we have to ensure the safety of the uh, infrastructure of the of the whole ecosystem and our protocol, and that is how we get adoption when basically uh, people can trust that uh, the, the code has been verified and and it has been diligently deployed. But also, if there is some sort of like a shortfall event and something bad happens, it could be somehow covered and life can continue. Right. And that is that was like our idea on how like we see like risk playing a very major role in the in the governance. That's interesting. So, so for for Avenomics, I guess the the key difference with maybe other protocols is that you have this kind of um, token reserve that's uh, made by token holders taking their their tokens and this reserve is there in case anything bad happens and you need to cover um maybe a shortfall in in collateral like what with what happened uh with maker in march exactly right so, so basically what's interesting like uh during the past six months 
uh, we took a lot of inspiration from uh, from Maker. We took mm-hmm. inspiration with different protocols and the uh, from the backstop uh, syndicate. Um, that was the idea of that was basically to cover to buy that uh, Maker tokens that were minted and and kind of like build in that system as well. And also we're looking at other uh, staking DAOs. And one of the biggest kind of like interesting. Uh, like inspiration for us was Ethereum because in essence, like what uh, uh, Ether is, it's basically transaction gas, but also it's a way to secure the network. It it basically, uh, uh, miners who are confirming transactions, they're upholding the security uh, for the Ethereum network and they're getting rewards uh, via inflation and also the transaction uh, costs. And kind of like we saw that uh, this kind of element of, of like rather than focusing completely on uh, rewarding liquidity providers for for making the market, uh, we need to also ensure that uh, those liquidity providers are, uh, are are basically safe. And we have uh, modules that kind of like incentivizes them to deposit, and we can ensure that that uh, if there is such like Black Thursday event and Fed liquidations, uh, uh, it doesn't uh, create uh, this kind of like a downside effect where people are leaving. DeFi because of uh, there's just too much risk and yeah. the risk is very high because all of the code that is the, the developed it's public there mm-hmm. so it, it's really important uh, functionality uh, we we understood yeah for sure um, so can you talk about uh, the token distribution um, and how much of the tokens will be as a percentage will be um, held by Ave team and Ave like early investors. Yeah, so basically, I think in in the current sense, maybe the Ave team and early investors probably have one fifth of the token supply, which is very low. But it has uh, quite of good um, uh, good perspective in the sense that um, the the token holder base is quite decentralized already. Mm-hmm. Because we see a lot of projects when they start uh, the their DeFi project, uh, it starts in a way where the early investors have most of the supply, and gradually, uh, with different kinds of like liquidity incentives schemes, uh, the tokens are going from the the uh, uh, let's say the founding teams to the users, mm-hmm. at, at least in terms of percentage. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about like the incentives is that we have actually very interesting system in a way that we. Part of the incentives are for the, the stakers who are providing the safety, and part are for the um, uh, f- uh, for the liquidity providers who are providing the liquidity. Mm-hmm. And now we have our governance, basically an open discussion, like what how how to balance between the liquidity providers and stakers, and like what's the ra- ratio should be, and, mm-hmm. and kind of like to to incentivize uh, the safety nets, but at the same time to bring uh, long-term liquidity providers. And this is like an interesting discussion that we are now, uh, we have been discussing and 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 kind of like, we, we see that uh, it's a bit like uh, our community is very oriented into the safety nets, but what's mm-hmm. cool about uh, the Avenomics is that if you provide liquidity and get rewards, you can compound them into the safety protocol so if you are incentivized to do that, you might be a liquidity provider that cares more about uh, the protocol health uh, than, for example, a liquidity provider that uh, farms, uh, let's say, tokens to just to sell them uh, quickly. Right. Okay, I, because yeah. so okay, so what happens there is that liquidity providers can then use those rewards to 
um, add staking to kind of provide the safety net for, for Aave. And so maybe that way, uh, both incentives are kind of aligned, like liquidity exactly. providers and the safety of, of Aave. Interesting. Exactly. So so our goal is, is basically when a liquidity provider steps into the Aave protocol, mm-hmm. they basically are incentivized enough to, to kind of like uh, keep the healthiness of the protocol in mind and, and kind of like see, see the protocol as a long-term uh, uh, kind of like an investment for them. And I, okay. I think that's important because uh, when we have different kinds of governance vote, uh, it will be very difficult if, if on one side we have liquidity providers that they, they, are, they want uh, quick returns, but the, on the other side we have basically uh, people who want to provide safetyness. In this mm-hmm. way, you have incentives aligned and it, they're all uh, basically towards uh, providing more safety. Right. But right now it, it's still in discussion um, how much each group will, will get of, of like yeah. new other tokens. Okay. So whatever the community decides, we will basically implement it. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's our kind of like a goal as, as, as to, to start it. And interesting part is that those incentives can always change. Mm-hmm. Uh, the governance can vote again. And I think now recently for the past six months or even like the recent months, we've seen like governance working pretty well in, in different projects and kind of like creating proposals and, mm-hmm. and, and kind of like looking at long-term, uh, uh, I mean, lo- looking in general long-term on all the protocols that, that basically the decision-making that I have seen in, in, in DeFi in terms of governance has been really, uh, really impressive. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, these tokens have certainly um, kind of launched this really active uh, community um, and and incentivized them them to like really uh, become involved in in the protocols that they're using and and propose different uh, kinds of changes and uh, participate in in voting. Um, I, I was really surprised to see something like the the yam community really spring yeah. to action to save this token which was kind of born overnight um so i think i think that was a really good example of kind of decentralized governance um but at the same time you know the, the, there have been we we've been starting to see the um, the kind of the temptation that I guess some some teams might might fall into, uh, or or the risks of of decentralized governance suddenly becoming concentrated again. Um, I'm thinking about uh, curve finance and and how you know with the the incentive to lock up um, CRV token, uh, uh, the team now holds like seventy percent of of voting power because they were the first to to lock in their tokens. So interested in in your thoughts on this, like how to how to balance um, keeping a governance system decentralized with kind of the 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 obvious incentive for for the team to also keep some level of control of the protocol, especially when stakes are so high with, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars locked and or billions of dollars in, in, in your case. That's that's a very, very good and, and question because uh, in terms of like, like in the beginning, it's, it's kind of like very flexible if the team has power to make changes. Uh, and, and especially when you need to do rapid uh, fixes or just like, uh, decision making where where action is needed and 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 kind of like the you need flexibility but over the time uh when the protocol starts to grow and there's more and more uh 
assets and funds involved that are basically uh, from external parties and from the community, I think it's it start it, it has to start already thinking like how to uh, become more decentralized. And mm-hmm. one of the best learnings I had uh, past years is is basically the more you give uh, power to the governance, the more healthier healthier and stronger your governance is. The the earlier you can do it, uh, the better. I mean. Uh, there's no reason for the team to keep majority control of, of, a, of a protocol. Um, if, if the protocol code is, is safe enough and, and basically uh, battle-tested after a uh, few months and, and, and so forth, uh, it is fair to already start kind of like uh, transferring that power as much as possible. And the way I have seen that only good thing happens like when, well, can't say only good things. I mean, it depends on the the communities. But mm-hmm. I've seen like very positive effects when you when you do that. Mm-hmm. And starting that as early as possible is is very important. For for our plan was was basically uh, started even more earlier. But uh, basically, we were a very small team, mm-hmm. and and we wanted to make sure that we when we are shipping code or we are doing changes, we do them very diligently, and we put a lot of effort in there. And also, it it's kind of like question of development. Now that the other protocol is is uh, holding vast amount of funds, mm-hmm. uh, our development process is uh, a, bit, a bit slower in the sense that we are innovating as fast as we can, but we also need to be very diligent uh, when we're deploying things. Mm-hmm. And I, I think uh, new protocols that are launching, uh, new products and, 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 and token economics, I, I think they should really think about it like, uh, in the very beginning, like how much time they need to, to keep power and to what extent. Do mm. you even need the majority power in the very beginning? And how you could decentralize it, it a bit more? Could you actually have some some sort of a, uh, a, a, a kind of like a time frame of, let's say, once you deploy uh, your main functionality and after, let's say, uh, one month after that, you could transfer the keys to larger audience and it's also like i think in terms of like protocols we have seen now it's more about question of fair distribution models mm. and we have seen models where basically the uh early investors uh they have majority of the token supply so you can't call it decentralized until you can cha- you you as a team can be challenged on every single decision uh you you basically make or proposal you make mm-hmm. and once that you reach that level, then you are like decentralized enough, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. And that requires that the the, the team and the investors, uh, and even like inner circle or or kind of like if there is something like that, basically doesn't hold the majority of the uh, voting power. For mm-hmm. me, that's uh, that's the kind of like a uh, landmark of of kind of like being actually having fair distribution model and being decentralized enough. Yeah, no, it makes sense. So. So I guess what you're saying is that when you're first starting with, with a protocol, it, it makes more sense to have the tokens and control of, of the protocol in the hands of uh, a, a reduced number of people of the team um, so that they're able to make sure that it, it's being built in you know, the safest way possible uh, for users and that they're able to quickly react if something goes wrong. But over time, as the protocol becomes more tested and, and safer, maybe when audits are done, um, then it's 
maybe the right time to start uh, giving up that uh, that power so that the protocol can become increasingly decentralized. And you're saying that um, a protocol can only become decentralized once the the tokens and, and voting power of, of the team are, are distributed among the community and not so concentrated um, in, in the team itself. And I guess it's it's maybe a subjective measure, like how much is too much of concentration, but you know, that's something that um, the community itself yeah. can discuss. Yeah, in, in from my experience, honestly, the investors and the team, they don't need as much as they think because uh, what we are building is very big things and we, we should have as less concentration as possible. These protocols will be very, very big. And, and what's different from uh, compared to traditional networks, uh, payment networks, or any kind of like a trading venues and facilities is that these might become even bigger. And mm-hmm. you don't want to hold that responsibility. You don't want to be responsible of a uh, vast amount of funds of, 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 of kind of like uh, end users. Mm-hmm. And, and definitely like, that's like a very, something that I have learned that, that uh, and I, I think like, uh, of course, like you should not even like deploy any code to the production without audit. So that's like something that uh, uh, the community uh, in DeFi needs to kind of like come together and, and just like find ways to uh, fund audits. And, and I mean, there's ways to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but beyond that uh, particular thing, I think people should kind of like think of more innovative models, how you could, uh, how you could kind of like come up with variations of this fair distribution model, for example, and decentralization. Mm-hmm. I mean, could it be, could there be a way, for example, that in the beginning when you deploy something, maybe there's 20, 30 persons from the community that holds uh, a, a key or like 10 persons at the very beginning. And we have seen situations where you have one key into a smart contract with, with, which holds a few hundred millions worth of value. And then uh, the community starts to panic and, and, mm. and arranging multi-signature wallets for that with multiple persons. I, I think uh, when you're deploying, it's not uh, like it's not that interesting to copy paste what someone else done, but actually trying to improve a bit and mm-hmm. thinking like what could be uh, a bit more improved iteration of what what basically has happened before. Mm-hmm. And I would really encourage people to to kind of like innovate on on distribution model, uh, how you could launch in a decentralized fashion and, and move towards decentralization. You don't need to be aggressively like decentralization in the very beginning, but uh, to a certain extent that you can actually, uh, that, that, that kind of like the, the trust and the concentration doesn't rely on, on a single entity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. There needs to be more, more innovation on in, in this regard. I think we're, we're so early in, in these new distribution uh, systems that I, I doubt that we've arrived at the, the right model to do this. Um, I wanted to touch on, on what you said on the need to deploy code that's been audited um, and, and you know, how, how, how hard it's been in, in DeFi um, because of how expensive audits, audits are. So I, you know, I'm, I'm interested in this question of um, kind of balancing innovation with like really secure and audited code. Um, do you think maybe 
there's there's a, a middle ground or like how 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 can kind of a loan developer uh, who's building um, a DeFi protocol go about deploying code uh, without an audit and and kind of handling those risks or or do you think that they simply just shouldn't do it and be always on testnet before they can manage to get an audit? That's an interesting one because um, the way I see, there's multiple ways to handle the audits. Uh, there is a way to basically uh, attract community and ac actually ask from the community, can we basically uh, split the funds or is there some community auditor that could help? And, and, and basically there, there's different models. You could always reach older projects, for example, like Aave and ask, hey, we're, we're building this interesting thing and it's very important for DeFi. Like, can you basically help us somehow? We have grant program available where you can actually ask grants for whatever you're building, whatever you're researching, and, and basically uh, including audits. So those, those kind of things we are uh, helping out. But I, I think one of the things we can distinguish is that uh, there has been this kind of like a way of deploying it without anyone knowing and creating some kind of like a rush into the uh, into the project in a way that uh, you want to quickly distribute uh, the the uh, the tokens and get quickly people involved. And this has had the function of like not auditing some code and putting disclaimers and which is like the disclaimers will not help if, if you are kind of creating the rush there and, right. and, and basically your idea is to get people quickly to deposit. It will not help. I mean, it's just like human psychology isn't like capable of like resisting yeah. that kind of things, you know, mm -hmm. people are led by greed sometimes. So it doesn't help. So that is important for a developer. Every developer that is deploying into mainnet just to basically understand uh, the risk and understand that, Needs, everyone needs to do their best practices and, and, and to ensure that uh, not audited code can go into mainnet for, for uh, use. Mm -hmm. And I, I think just by reaching out and creating communities first, there is no rush into uh, deploying code. I mean, I would rather see communities grow first and then the products grow in there and kind of the communities come, coming together and, 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 and basically helping out to get those audits, asking grants and this is like the healthy way of, of like getting a funding bootstrap. And if you want, you can always go to the venture capital. It's not the most preferred model. And there's different kinds of ways. But mm -hmm. definitely, I, I see there's uh, more potential in, in actually building communities first and then building the product and then launching. Mm -hmm. And kind of like that's, that's, that's very interesting. Because yeah. like the community will help your, your product to, to build. And that's like substantial help. Right. So would, would you rather see less of these uh, protocols kind of launching overnight um, and getting a, a bunch of liquidity uh, with uh, these, you know, yield farming incentives and, and tokens before having an audit? Yeah, because if your code is public and, and basically everyone can look at it for a certain period of time and launch, basically that's... Uh, that gives more reassurance. There are people from the community who can audit the code and take a look before they implement. You can arrange partnerships if you're you're basically using different protocols and, and kind of discuss with their staff, their developers, they can basically uh, read the code and review. So it, time only is uh, kind of like a positive thing in, in DeFi. We mm -hmm. somehow created an, an environment recently that uh, you kind of need to Develop quickly once it's ready. You need to deploy it into the mainnet, and then we have issues. And then we are 
uh, kind of like looking like, okay, what's what happens now? And, and, mm. and kind of like if, if some exploits are, or bugs will be found. So mm. there is no rush. There's many protocols which has been like public in terms of code and, and, and have successful launches. And this kind of like a more controlled uh, auditable environment is is what the the, the space needs, and mm-hmm. this this will help us go uh, further and and create bigger things. And even maybe there might be things that people might notice that you could improve your product. So definitely, I I, I see uh, that more valuable uh, than anything else. Yeah, no, I agree. And I guess to to start um, wrapping up, um, I'm interested in in kind of your your views of of DeFi going forward considering this um, recent craziness where these uh, protocols, you know, launching uh, very quickly and drawing hundreds of of millions of of dollars have accelerated growth growth in DeFi, but at kind of a lot of risk, like like you have highlighted. Um, Going forward, I mean, do you, what what do you hope to see um, in in terms of DeFi growth? Like, um, do you think, it'll be like more um, sustained uh, growth, like not, not so exponential, but, uh, but maybe a more sustained kind of growth without so much risk. Uh, do you see any risk of, 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 these, um, of these protocols kind of uh, producing some kind of crash which takes people away from DeFi for a while? Um, like what's kind of, what do you see coming up next? <laughs> So, so the, the, the risk is always there. And mm-hmm. as a DeFi protocol builder, for me, like uh, the, the kind of like that part of life is serious. It's always there for every, each and every protocol. Mm-hmm. It's our job to basically keep these protocols uh, as safe and secure as possible and, and ensure that basically nothing like this should happen. And that's how we support each other in, in, in the space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically, uh, of course, the recent developments aren't helping uh, uh, the kind of like direction we should take. And, and because the safer we are, the more we get adoption and mm-hmm. the more we get basically uh, institutional adoption uh, where we get large amounts of uh, basically deposits and capital injections, but also we get uh, uh, allocations from larger uh, amount of mainstream because mm-hmm. if a system is uh, seen as safe, then it's uh, very usable uh, to larger extent, because it takes a uh, long time to build a reputation, but short time to lose it. Mm-hmm. And, and basically, what DeFi is now having is kind of like a bit of, uh, I would say, uh, testing in terms of like uh, principles uh, that kind of like, if we are able to come together and, and basically uh, improve the safety of, of the protocols, ensure that we have a way of, of deploying code into the mainnet that, that is, is basically secure. That, that is attractive. That mm-hmm. what gets people into the space. And we have a base layer for financial applications, products that we have never ever seen before, just because of the efficiency and the security that uh, blockchain provides. And I really want to see that. And if there's something happens, uh, the industry stalls with year or two, and, and that will be very shameful because then all that we build it, we have to wait for the next uh, kind of uh, phase where, where the trust is uh, regained again. Right. And yeah. I would not like to see that happen. I would like to see basically that the space will grow uh, kind of like in a healthier direction. Mm-hmm. And 
it, it doesn't even mean that uh, if you do take the healthier path, it doesn't mean that we are going to grow slower. It actually might mean that uh, we are passing more and more tests mm-hmm. and, and are more battle tested and actually capital comes quicker. And I, I think this is something we all need to realize just. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Okay, great. Uh, and then last, last question is, you know, we, we started the conversation highlighting how Ave uh, went from zero value log at the start of the year to 1.3 billion now, the, the second largest uh, DeFi protocol after Maker. Um, do you, I mean, are, are you looking to overtake Maker? <laughs> do you see that happening? <laughs> I, I think like Maker as a, as, a, as a protocol has done very substantial work in terms of like the issuing the stable coin and, and amount of value that they have look and how people trust them. And, and kind of like, it's more quieter in, in terms of like uh, uh, the space because it's a very base layer. And many of these things become a bit quieter at some point uh, because you're providing the very uh, foundation layer for the ecosystem. And I, I, I would see like Maker and Ava will be like that in the future. Mm-hmm. And, and the, I, I think the growth of the, the product and the brand, it really depends on the innovation that you create. Our goal is kind of like, we don't focus that much on other protocols only to the extent that we can ensure that if a developer builds something on Aave, um, our comp- composability allows them to use other things and, and, and basically build products that are using everything. That is like what DeFi is all about. Mm-hmm. And I, I think like uh, these protocols that we have, we see now in, in DeFi, they will be there if nothing, nothing like serious will happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I mean, I really love what we are doing now in the in the space uh, in, in terms of like uh, those baseline protocols, and I, I really love to see more innovation. And and yeah, I hope uh, something that is built on top of uh, Maker and Ave will be, become bigger. That will be <laughs> interesting, more awesome. Yeah. Um, well, Sunny, it was really a pleasure chatting. Thank you so much for joining me again. And yeah, look forward to seeing all the innovation happening on, on Ave. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Camila. <laughs> I'll continue to interview all the major founders and influencers in this emerging space. When DeFi eats the world, you can say you heard them here first. Tune in next week. Multis is the first ever bank account for companies who want to run their business on crypto and traditional currencies. It has a multi-signature wallet, which allows teams to store their assets with access controls, earn interest on their crypto, and streamline payments. I went through the demo myself, and the UX is super user-friendly. They'll soon be launching fiat-friendly accounts with cards and wire transfers, so companies dealing with fiat and crypto will need multiple accounts in different places. Go to multis.co, that's M-U-L-T-I-S dot C-O, and sign up to start a free 30-day trial. Listeners to The Defiant can get a priority onboarding by the multi-CEO when they enter The Defiant podcast on the 30-second sign-up form. So go check it out.